Hey there, everyone, and welcome into the Pickle Jar. We have another amazing guest here in the Pickle Jar with us. We have Ellen. She is coming from Huntsville, Alabama, and she is going to share with us her story of being recently diagnosed with, well, she's not quite sure yet if it's primary or secondary adrenal insufficiency, um, but she was just diagnosed in December. And her story, um, I can tell you, is so important to listen to because it's recent. She had to go through covid and she experienced a lot of the ups and downs a lot of you go through with multiple diagnosis before you get to that final, final true diagnosis of adrenal insufficiency. And one thing I loved when um, Ellen shared her story with me is, and one thing I love about all of our guest episodes, and one thing that I know that you all get from listening to the podcast is the validation because everything she told me as she kind of let her four years kind of unfold for me, you know, I felt everything she was going through and we know it's a very unique experience that very few of us, a, a road that very few of us go down. And it's so validating to experience that with someone and not to feel alone. And, and it was a great reminder for me for what, I have been through in the last, you know, probably 15, 20 years. And it really helped remind me of what it felt like being pre-diagnosis, which reminded me how to take care of myself on those low cortisol days, because on low cortisol days, that is how I feel. I feel like I did pre-diagnosis. So it was great reminders for me. So, um, so Ellen is 35 years old. And again, she comes from Huntsville, Alabama, and she has two small children that are five and eight. And I'm just so appreciated that she reached out to share her story with us today. So Ellen, welcome into the pickle jar. Thank you. <laughs> All right. So let's get started with your story. It started about, about four years ago when you started to notice that there was just something not right. And I have to say like, your story is incredible. The things that you have been through in the last four years just kind of shook me to the core because there was a lot of scary things that took place that honestly made me question when you told me I like questioned whether or not you were either going to survive them and I can't imagine what you've been through so thank you for opening up to us today and sharing with us so so let's start at the beginning, four years ago, when you started to experience some, I think it was some abdominal pain while you're driving or something. Yes. So it's December of 2019. And December is a crazy time for a normal person. There's all this extra stuff going on. And if you have little kids, there's even more extra stuff going on. And I had a high adrenaline work outing that... I was driving home from, and I was probably less than five minutes away from my house. And all of a sudden I had this really horrible abdominal pain that was just so bad. I wasn't sure if I was going to be able to drive home, but somehow I stuck it out and got home. And I was just really questioning whether or not I should go to the ER because it was just such awful pain. But um, family member convinced me to just lie down, see if it'll go away. And it was not going away. So I think it was the next day I called my doctor and said, Hey, something's going on. So I went in to see him and he examined me and thought, well, maybe you have a muscle spasm or something's going on. And he actually offered to give me a steroid shot 
<laughs> to help with it. And I declined it because I was like, ooh, shots and steroids. Ew, no. <laughs> Who wants to take those silly things? Yeah. <laughs> <laughs> so I went back home and was lying around for days and eventually got better. And it was really, it kind of felt like slowly over weeks to really get back to a kind of sort of where I was before. And then January was okay. But then in February, had I'd had my flu shot. My kids had had their flu shots and we got a really, really mild case of flu. And then a couple of weeks later, I had neuropathy that started my feet, went up my legs, went up my arms to my face over a course of two weeks or less. So I got in with a neurologist. So this and... is where, to me, this is where the scary starts. <laughs> <laughs> yes. Like, like when, when you told me that, I was like, oh my goodness. Like she had two small kids you have a one-year-old and like a four-year-old at the time yes yeah like and prime of your life and your body's losing sensation <laughs> yes <laughs> I I was concerned <laughs> definitely <laughs> and the day I finally got to have my neurologist appointment my legs started feeling weak and it was harder to walk I was like oh this is not good <laughs> so because of the flu and the timing wise, it looked like Guillain-Barre and I was told I needed to go to the hospital that day, start treatment. And um, can you explain what Guillain-Barre is? Yes. So Guillain-Barre is when your body's immune system attacks the myelin sheath that wraps around your nerves. Okay. So then your nerves can't work as well. And it tends to start with the neuropathy that works its way up the body and then goes into muscle weakness, which is what I was doing. And if it gets bad enough, a quick Google search told me <laughs> that even your diaphragm can get too weak and muscles stop working and you need to be on a ventilator to breathe for you. So initially it presented exactly how this autoimmune would present yes um so I went to the hospital and my mom thought she was going to go in with me we thought we were doing this together and at the door she was told she had to go away because the night before they had decided that they weren't allowing any visitors in because of the pandemic so it's the start of the lockdown. <laughs> and so I was going into the hospital with this thing that looked really scary and post Google ventilator search. <laughs> yes. <laughs> you know, you're going into the pandemic. So we're already uncertain. And then, like you said, like Google ventilator, COVID ventilator shortage. Yes. Okay. Ne next step of fear in her story that as I was listening to when you told me, you know, trying to, you know, we all had our concerns during COVID and then to go through that would mm -hmm. just heighten everything so much more. Mm -hmm. Um, For me, I feel like I knew I should be really freaked out, but part of me actually got really calm all of a sudden. And I just kind of, it's like, okay, we can do this. 
Right. And I think I had a lot of people praying for me from what I heard afterwards. So <laughs> that probably helped too. <laughs> and um, so I had the IVIG treatment, which is they put immunoglobulins in your IV. So the IV part. And I was, it took several days, but I was told, you know, go home and within six months, you should probably be back to your normal self. So that's kind of the good thing about Guillain-Barre is normally people go back to their normal selves fairly quickly. They might need some rehab or something, but. So it's a temporary. It's a very temporary sort of thing, usually. Treated and and then can it recur again in your life? Do you know? Or is it? Um, it's very, very rare for it to reoccur. Good news. So, so I kind of felt like, hey, I have a diagnosis. Yeah. I think I'm over the worst of it. Go home. I should get better. And I went home and I was laying around in bed and life was still going on for my little kids. And thankfully my parents stepped in to take care of them while I was just laying around in bed. So you never um, really seemed to recover energy wise. Well, my husband feels like the hospital, I got better a bit, but then I got worse again. So I don't know, maybe the fluids in the hospital helped. I, yeah. Something. <laughs> Anywho. So then I was getting into the summer of 2020. And I was feeling horrible. And I knew I should be feeling better. It wasn't quite time for my follow-up with my neurologist yet. So I was contacting my internist, my regular doctor, letting him know something's not right. I was having all these horrible abdominal pains. And to me, I was looking at myself and I looked a lot tanner than I would for me laying around inside. And I was tanner than my kids. My kids and I would usually be the same amount of paleness, <laughs> but they were the ones playing outside. I was the one inside yet. I was the darker one. And when I went to the doctor's office, he was smart enough to think of, let's check her blood pressure. All right, let's check it lying down. Let's check it when you stand up. Okay, there's a big drop. You're telling me these things. I want to get some blood tests. So I looked at the lab sheet and I saw one of the things he was testing was cortisol. So I'm like, hmm, what's that? Let's Google that. <laughs> and Addison's popped up. I was like, hmm, what is this? What is he testing me for? So that was kind of my introduction to Addison's. <laughs> okay. So this is, you know, initial. So this is, you were just diagnosed in December. So this was a couple years, four years, almost three, good three mm -hmm. and a half years before you were even diagnosed. So, so basically the trend that we see right now, you had a condition, they treated it which put your body under stress. And then once you've recovered from that, you just don't seem to be recovering like you should be because sounds like, yes, your cortisol's struggling here. There's something else going on in your body. And then you start to experience different symptoms with constant abdominal pain. And now you have the lovely glowing tan <laughs> that you got with no effort at all. So yes. And he told me that my cortisol was low, but still within the reference range. So, and just a little side note for people, if you haven't listened to my story yet, when I was diagnosed with adrenal insufficiency, that can still happen. So please do not rule out if they've told you your cortisol is 
low or it's still within range, um, that necessarily doesn't, and you're still experiencing a lot of the symptoms like Ellen is, uh, the, the tan, the blood pressure, abdominal pain, all these things that seem to be pointing in that direction, your body's amazing. And her body was amazing. And it was fighting to keep her alive. And it was doing that by keeping her cortisol levels normal on blood tests, but it was low. <laughs> yes. Uh, so I feel like I was so close to being diagnosed quickly, but oh well. <laughs> so with abdominal pain, I got sent to a GI doctor and he was convinced I had an ulcer. That was the cause of this horrible abdominal pain. So he did an endoscopy. It was good. Did a colonoscopy, nothing there. But I did have the anesthesiologist come and check on me afterwards because my blood pressure went way down during the procedure, which I now think I know why. <laughs> you see, see all the pieces in the story that we all can relate to, right? It's all these little things looking back that was screaming, this is what it is, right? So... Yes. So I started having specialists play hot potato with me. So thankfully, I had a lot of doctors that said, yes, I see you are sick. You are definitely sick, but it's not within my specialty. I think you should see this other specialist and go to the other one. Well, I agree you're sick, but mm, it's not me. It's not what I do. Go somewhere else. <laughs> so I think I counted over 15 doctors. Wow before finally getting to the correct answer. <laughs> um, so I had my follow-up of my neurologist while this was going on in end of summer, beginning of fall. Oh, before that though, I did, I am a photographer. So it was summer of 2020 and I hadn't had any medicines yet other than the IVIG back in the spring and I was getting weak it wasn't just the pain and the blood pressure and the tan I was getting very very weak and my husband was realizing this and I was going out to do a photo shoot outside he didn't want me to be by myself so he drove me he walked with me I was going to take some attorney pictures of a friend and we got out to the field and I couldn't hold my camera. I was just shaking so much. I was just so weak. I just set my settings on my camera, attempted to tell my non-photographer husband what to do so that we could just kind of get through this and get home. <laughs> you know, so that, and, that's when, and when you shared that with me the other day, I remember I mentioned to you, it reminded me of my dad. My dad had primary Addison's. And the thing is, you just mentioned the ulcer thing too. My dad, when he was going through his diagnosis, when he was in his early twenties, um, that's what they were treating him for was an ulcer as well. So your diagnosis, your abdominal pain, you, you've kind of given me an inside look of what my dad went through. And I cannot thank you enough because you, when you speak, I hear him and, um, and he was alone all those years with it. So thank you, because I think that's exactly what he went through is the ulcers. And I remember my grandma after my dad passed away of an adrenal crisis she, telling me when he was diagnosed before he was diagnosed that he was so weak, he couldn't even carry a quart of pears in the house. And, um, you know, that's kind of unusual when you're young. <laughs> it's unusual when you're in your thirties to hold, you can't hold a camera up. Mm -hmm. Um, 
So those are big signs that 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 was your body screaming at you. There's something desperately wrong. It was so weak. And um, that is a great example of what your body was struggling with at the time. Mm -hmm. So So I went to my (laughs) neurologist for the follow-up appointment and I was telling him about the muscle weakness and he was testing my muscles, having me push and pull on things. And I didn't have overt outright muscle weakness, but I had muscle fatigability. So my muscle would start out strong and fine, but the more times I would push or pull against him, the weaker and weaker I would get. And for me, I was having an eyelid that would get droopy when I was feeling weak. And my legs would get weak, especially near the end of the day and climbing stairs. My husband likes to say that it looks like someone approaching a black hole because at the bottom of the stairs, I was going just fine. Then at the top, I'm slow motion (laughs) trying to get up there. (laughs) And another thing for me was the muscles at the back of my throat were getting weak. And I was coughing because I was choking on my own spit. I couldn't read bedtime stories. I couldn't read any stories to my kids because I was choking on my own spit so much. So so now we're approaching the next level of (laughs) heartbreak. (laughs) I felt for you when you shared this, because you know, you had the first thing, the, the, the numbness up your body and now like choking on your own spit, not being able to read to your kids and not being able to hold up a camera like that. It's just scary, extremely scary. Definitely. (laughs) Um, But again, we thought we had a diagnosis. My neurologist said, this sounds a lot like myasthenia gravis. Here is some mestinon. Go ahead and try it. It's something that can help your nerves and muscles talk to each other better. Should help you feel stronger. I tried it. It did seem to help me feel stronger. It helped me stop choking on my own spit so much and walk better and stuff. And it's like, all right. I have a name, I have a medicine, I can be okay. And one of the things I had to help measure things, this is a NIF meter, NIF meter. You inhale as strongly as you can, and it measures the strength of your diaphragm. Because for me, my, (laughs) I had numbers. I could actually measure how strong my diaphragm was working and, there were times I, when I first got it, I thought the thing was broken because I was like, there's no way I'm getting this low number. No, no. So my husband tried out and he pegs it out. He gets a nice, super high number. He's like, okay, never mind. <laughs> I am that weak. <laughs> wow. Um, so... I did a lot of research and, you know, I wanted the best treatment possible. Let's do whatever we can so that I can go back to living with my little kids and my small business and everything going on. And one of the things that was suggested to me was to get a thymectomy because of my senior gravis MG. If you remove the thymus gland, that can put someone into remission for decades and decades and help them go back to a normal life and not even need any medicine and basically be back to normal. And that sounded great 
and I was learning more about it. And depending on the hospital and doctor you went to, a lot of them preferred to do the crack your ribs open so they can get a nice full visual of the thymus gland and get it all. Because if you leave a little bit of it, that can cause a problem again. And knowing what I know now about my body, that probably would have killed me. <laughs> yeah. So you decided not to go forward with that treatment. Yeah. Right? I decided, I I really prayed hard about that because I was like, well, if this is what I have, I want to be normal. But what if maybe this isn't it? Because I was classified as seronegative okay. myasthenic because I didn't have any antibodies. But the tricky thing about that is that some people really truly do have MG. It's just they need a very, very special test that's a lot more sensitive, newer, updated test that's not widely available to find the antibodies. Okay. So doctors try to not dismiss people who symptom-wise match it. Right. Which so I can appreciate. <laughs> right, right. It's, you know, and we have to appreciate that there's so many things for them to consider. So like you said, it's all about odds. So it sounds like in that case, you were serum negative, which the odds are you might not be, but you still might be. So what decision do you make? And you listen to that little voice inside of you that said, you know what, right now we're not going to do this. And I think they're, they're treating you, you're starting treatment back and forth, kind of like with prednisone and steroids and different things like that. Right. And it, you started that little pendulum swing of feeling like you were getting better. So if I'm starting to feel better, why kind of rock? the boat kind of thing right so um and so as that started to progress and you started to treat this what kind of path did that lead you down so I wanted to make sure we were doing the right things so my local neurologist is a wonderful person and he said I will refer you to wherever you want to go let me know do you want to go to Mayo? Do you want to go to this place? Do you want to go to that place? So I picked a uh, university hospital that's a couple hour drives away. And it's usually well thought of. And so I thought I'd get really good care. And I was going there and they thought, well, this might be what you have. And you really, really need to get on prednisone so that you can be better to be there for your kids is what I was told. And it's like, yeah, yeah, okay. Because I've been really resisting prednisone because <laughs> I had heard all sorts of bad side effects about it. <laughs> and then I went on and it's like, oh, wow, better. <laughs> and I, I was on that for a while and they'd say, okay, now prednisone's bad for you. Now that your flare up's done and you're better, we need to get you off of it. And, and I know everyone listening, or if you're, if you're listening or you're watching on YouTube, if you're listening, you heard it in her voice. And if you're watching on YouTube, you also got, you saw the, the motion that she did when she went, oh, prednisone. Like she just <laughs> lifted up, like you just, that life kind of, you know, that light kind of come back. And we know what, we all know what that feeling's like when um, those steroids start to kick in and just kind of bring us back and how, how good it feels all the way down deep into your soul. So, um, so did you have, when you started the prednisone, you went to this new hospital, um, were you starting to experience any other symptoms or anything else going on? Um, not that I can think of. Oh, well, way back when, before I was on prednisone, I did start having salt cravings. I did notice that. Did you ever get a rash or a fever or... Um, so 
I was going through this whole, you're on prednisone, you're fine. Yeah. Let's take, wean you off. Yeah. And that pattern happened over and over. So on one of the let's wean you off prednisone things, I got a f- horrible abdominal pain, fever, okay. rash, and the rash started out around my arms and then it over a day or two spread to where it was just head to toe awful I was stuck in bed I was miserable and I called my doctor my internist to let him know what was going on and he was being hopeful that maybe with some rest and whatnot it would go away and give a little time but a couple days into it I got out of bed in the morning and I felt so lightheaded so incredibly nauseous and thankfully my husband was nearby I called out to him help and he was able to catch me before I hit the floor because I was blacking out I I was passing him I would have hit the floor if he hadn't caught me (laughs) and he carried me down the stairs and tried to get my blood pressure because we had a home blood pressure machine and couldn't get one on it so my mom came over, <laughs> family heirloom, a good old-fashioned mercury spigmometer. <laughs> yeah, yeah. Oh, fill them in on, on your, your parents' occupations. <laughs> Why you have... <laughs> so my parents are recently retired pediatricians. So, so, she, so she had special people in her back pocket here too. So yeah. I think it's an important part of your story too, is because the Addison's is there's so many things that doctors have to eliminate and to consider when someone's sick, you had, you had the best of, you know, the people that not only have the education and the knowledge and they're emotionally involved in you. So they're, you know, they got your back and everything still with your story all the, everything that you've been through, the way they were treating you made sense. Mm-hmm. Right. So, and oh, man, hindsight's 2020. 20. My dad was, when I was doing those prednisone weans, my dad was telling me, you should really ask your doctors if you need to take some extra prednisone whenever you're sick or these various things happen. And so I asked and they're like, oh, no, no, you should be fine. Good. <laughs> and I remember my dad telling me one time that he was so confused about what was going on with me because of all the fatigue and how I'd stirred out my day okay but as I did more I'd get worse and that most things they're taught as doctors you have horrible fatigue throughout the whole day and so it just wasn't making sense to him and I think it was frustrating him yeah yeah, I, you know, I can't even, I can't even imagine. That's one thing I've learned about having a rare illness is that there's a lot of rare illnesses out there. There's a lot mm-hmm. of information they have to know and they can't know everything. And mm-hmm. it's, you know, you go to the obvious first and you just kind of keep working your way down and you hope you eventually get to the right answer and everyone has their own experience and knowledge. And, and I think a lot of physicians in my experience from what they know of Addison's, they know when we get to the very bitter end of the diagnosis when you're very, very, very sick with it. 
and you're going into a full adrenal crisis and you might pass away from being misdiagnosed where you weren't there yet. Your body was still fighting like a true warrior and getting you through every day somehow, right? So um, so they come over, you have no blood pressure reading on your blood pressure. My home. So your- my mom takes it with her good old fashioned one and she was able to get a blood pressure I don't remember what it was, but I remember it was very low. So my mom rushes me off to the ER. (laughs) She was actually so flustered. She accidentally took me to the old ER entrance. (laughs) And people came out like, what are you doing here? (laughs) No, no, no. Take her over here. This is where the (laughs) ER entrance is. And um, so go in and they're doing all their ER tests as they should as ER doctors. And I was just sweating through the sheets I was sweating so much just with what was going on with my body and I've never experienced that before and one of the blood tests came back showing that I had heart damage and that that enzyme the troponin was rising so that's why they decided to go ahead and keep me overnight and do some more tests and doing echocardiogram look at my heart and they told me that I had a type 2 heart attack I had damage to my heart muscle because my blood pressure was so low for so long my heart wasn't getting enough blood to get enough oxygen to take care of itself and that one that's something that I've really learned from you is that term is type 2 heart attack because I've had when I my foot surgery um, the anesthesiologist, when they did the EKG before the surgery a couple years ago, she had mentioned that the EKG showed heart damage. And I was very confused because I had never had chest pains. I'd never had, and I'm very curious about learning now if that's part of the possibility is that when my blood pressure pre at some point has dropped so low, which it's had in the past, that it's caused, I guess, is it safe to say to kind of how I understand kind of what you've said that it's kind of like, the heart just in those moments have started oxygen and they've lost some of the cells and it doesn't sound like it's a traditional heart attack it's just they've started to die because they they just don't have the oxygen supply Mm -hmm. so from my understanding it's basically the same thing that happens with a traditional heart attack it's just the cause of the heart not getting enough blood is from the low blood pressure instead of a blocked artery right all right. So now, now you get some more scary news. You've had a type two heart attack. <laughs> so I'm in the hospital and my blood pressure isn't wanting to go up. <laughs> I have no blood pressure. Um, and so they're giving me fluids, which seems to help somewhat, but not that much. But the next day, my mom comes and brings me some Chick-fil-A. Yes, <laughs> and all of a sudden, after all of that extra salt... <laughs> my blood pressure went up and I was told I could go home. Yeah. And it's, so we're treating, you know, sounds like part of the puzzle, the pieces were starting to come in. It was the fluids helped a little bit, but, but there's nothing like getting a good dose of sodium to um, treat a very rare life-threatening chronic illness. (laughs) What's the answer? Go to the food court at the mall. That's the answer, right? So, (laughs) and, um, and then you started to feel better. (laughs) And so I was back on the higher prednisone dose 
things were good. Then I got another, all right, you're doing well, so let's wean it off again. And then I was getting readings that were saying, hey, your diaphragm is super weak. And I felt when that happens, I feel it. It feels hard to get a deep breath. And I was having trouble walking. I was choking on my spit a lot. And I called my neurologist, but I had an on-call neurologist. He said I should really go to the hospital. And I went to the hospital that I thought he wanted me to go to, but I got there and he was saying, wait, why are you here? You should be at this other hospital. They have the ability to do some of the higher level treatments that you might need. So they tried to transfer me, but that hospital was too full of COVID patients to be able to take me. So they said, you're an established patient at this university hospital. It's a couple hour drive. So we'll put you in an ambulance. And my mom's was like, wait, can I just drive her? No, no, you cannot. <laughs> and so I had my first ambulance ride go up there and had some very smart neurologists testing my muscles and whatnot and seeing how weak I was. And they're saying that, yeah, the symptoms match MG and we're glad you're being treated for it. Let's, yeah, you should, let's go on that higher prednisone dose and take care of you and make sure you have a follow-up appointment in a couple of days, which I actually already had one scheduled in the books. So went home and then came back a couple of days later for my regular doctor appointment. And I was told, okay, you are really not all right. Please go back to the ER right now. I'm going to call, let them know you're coming. So it's at this big fancy university hospital and they got me in and the ER doctors are doing all of the tests the ER doctors should do to rule all of the stroke, heart attack, et cetera, things out. And they admitted me. And it was really the next day when I got to see the neurologists and such. But before that, I guess just the way hospitals are, it's hard for the pharmacy to get their medicines to you in a timely fashion when you're admitted in, in the ER and stuff. So I was going about my medicines for a while and I was getting worse. And I, I was really scared at that point. And that's like, I'm having trouble breathing. <laughs> and that was your medicine, like, including like prednisone. Do you remember? Yeah. It like mesinone and prednisone. Okay. But the next day they finally got my medicines to me and I'd been laying around in the hospital bed. So I'm getting rest. I finally get my medicines and an hour or two later after those medicines are kicking in, then the neurologists come in and check my muscles, see how strong they are and whatnot. And it wasn't just the neurologist, it was him and a whole flock of doctors in training, because it's a teaching hospital, <laughs> and he was the actually person in charge of teaching new doctors how to be a neurologist, so he's... So you were hopeful, you were hopeful. It yeah. Like you had a really good team coming in, so... Yeah, I thought so. <laughs> But then they all leave and he comes back in and lets me know that he thinks it's all in my head, that my muscles seem fine at that moment. It's like, well, yes, in this moment they are, but they weren't. <laughs> no, exactly. And you were sent there because you weren't well and mm -hmm. you just took your medication. 
So yes. if that was treating the muscle strength, then it was being masked by drugs. Yes. Right. Yep. So went back home <laughs> and my local neurologist said, seems like 10 milligrams works for you. So let's stay there. Don't know what's going on, but. So now you're back on the pred. Your prednisone seems to work for you. So let's, let's keep you on it. <laughs> we're not sure why, but you know what? We're going to keep you alive and happy right now. So let's, let's, let's stay there. Okay. Yep. So my mom tells my story to someone she knows and they say, I know some really great doctors at this university hospital, a couple hours, the other direction. Let me see if I can help you get in there in a timely fashion. Cause it sounds like she needs some help. <laughs> so I went to see a different neuromuscular doctor and she tells me, I think I know what you have. So yay, <laughs> a new diagnosis, someone who's gonna make me all better, yay. <laughs> so she does some testing and it turns out I actually have some proof. Yay, something that's actually something lab instead of just symptoms. It shows I have small fiber neuropathy that is affecting my sensory nerves and my autonomic nerves. And so she put me on flutricortisone, Flornaf, and a high salt diet. And I started feeling better. So then I was on prednisone yep. and flutricortisone <laughs> and the high salt. <laughs> okay, which explains the chicken. <laughs> <laughs> yes that explains and, the, 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 the chicken fix right so, yes still yeah. to this day if I'm having a really awful day my family will feed me some chicken chicken I just like salt out of my hands and drink <laughs> juice that's you know it's the quick it's the the, the band-aid right it's the band-aid yes. so it's definitely the band-aid not the solution so basically so yeah so the pieces are slowly starting to come in mm -hmm. together so now you've been treated for um with Florinef, high salt diet, it's going to help fix the blood pressure issues and yeah. everything like that. You're starting to a little bit better. Yeah. So at that point, we decided to go ahead, my husband and I go on a big trip. We had wanted to go on a big trip for our 10 year wedding anniversary, but that was 2020. <laughs> so between my health and the world situation, <laughs> That did not happen. So we thought maybe 2021, but didn't happen again because of the pandemic, my health situation. But 2022, the border to Canada was finally open. <laughs> Got to go to Lake Louise and all that area. And nice. But because of all the health situation, I kind of turned our anniversary trip into a bucket list trip. So it was kind of a, whew, <laughs> don't know how long I have left. <laughs> Let's well, live and, it up. <laughs> and you know what? And yeah, like that's part of your story that I think is, I think incredible. Like I said, when I listened, you told me the other day, like, I'm just thinking like, man, like you sound so positive and so you even said when you were going in the hospital you you know what it's just what I got to do like I got to take care of this and we got to figure it out and um but we have moments where yeah like reality kicks in and like you know what you get scared about what's around the corner you know what's going to be next I'm choking on my next spit I lose sensation in my body and you know what 
what's going on with me? Are they, they really going to figure this out? I've been told it's in my head and um, it's not my head. Cause you don't want to feel like that. You don't mm-hmm. want a bucket list. You want right. to live life with your husband. You want to raise your children. You want to enjoy life with your children. Right. So, um, I mean, extremely brave for you to do that. Cause that would have been a very hard thing to do. So, um, so you guys go on this trip and mm-hmm you're wondering is this my last trip yeah (laughs) but the the trip was a success (laughs) I wasn't able to like do all the hikes I would have wanted to do but it was a success I was able to go see pretty places (laughs) that's so okay so now you're coming home from the trip like what what Mm -hmm. uh, what kind of happened after that So I had some follow-up appointments with my POTS neurologist and I was doing pretty well. So she was saying it's time to wean from that prednisone again because prednisone is bad for you. Like everyone, every doctor, every nurse is like, we got to get you off that prednisone. It's it's bad. If you have functioning adrenal glands and prednisone together, (laughs) they they don't want it. But if you don't have those adrenal glands, you kind (laughs) of... It's, it's not so bad. So, so they, they try to take it away from you. So I, um, remembered my way back years earlier, doctor telling me I had a cortisol level that was on the low side. Mm-hmm. So I told her this and asked, is that something we need to consider if you want me off the prednisone again? <laughs> And she said, would you like to see an endocrinologist? Yes. Yes, I would, please. (laughs) This to the doctor's list, endocrinologist. (laughs) (laughs) And my husband's a type 1 diabetic, so he already had an endocrinologist in town that we knew was a very smart person and we trusted. So wanted to go see him. Because all of these out-of-town doctor's appointments are physically draining, even to this day. It, it's it's kind of rough doing that much riding around for a day. So I got to see an endocrinologist three years after my first symptom. And he was thinking that it was adrenal insufficiency because of all of my symptoms and everything. But he thought it was adrenal insufficiency because I'd been on prednisone for years. So he was going to have me wean, but much, much slower than the neurologist had been doing. And it's like, okay, all right, I guess I can try this. (laughs) So I'm assuming that he wanted to try to wean you off in hopes that the adrenal glands would respond. And if we do it slowly and gently, they will be able to kick back in and we will resume normal living. (laughs) That was the hope. That was the hope. Okay. And he had told me that my updose rules were if I ever got a fever to double the medicine. And if I ever got nauseous, double the medicine. Okay. So he's still being, that's what I was working with. So he's still being cautious. And Mm -hmm. if you don't feel well, we're going to treat it as such before we really figure out what's going on. Is that correct? Yes. And so that was the first time I'd ever been told, yes, please take extra prednisone when you're sick. 
And that made a big difference in my life right there because I have small children. They bring home lots of viruses and I was catching all sorts of colds from them and wind up stuck in bed for weeks. Like every time they get a cold, it's like, okay, I need to quarantine from them so I don't get a simple cold that completely throws me off. You knew you were having longer recovery time. That what yes. take you down temporarily is taking you out for extended period of times, which is a typical symptom of someone with not being diagnosed with adrenal insufficiency. Mm-hmm. And we even were able to go to Disney World and I knew that much walking and that level of heat because I've been told to stay out of the heat for the pots and I, I was like, okay, this is kind of stressful, but I have information, take extra prednisone. So I did, and I was able to survive that trip. <laughs> so I'm kind of proud of myself there. And you know, this is another part of your story is, you know, I can feel it because I remember when I was not diagnosed, I wasn't on steroids. Like I was the same age as you, you are now. And I would, we go Christmas shopping and we knew every two to three hours, Jill had to stop, eat something salty and rest. Mm -hmm. I had to kind of reboot myself and like, I can feel like you said, like you just knew going to Disney was going to drain you and you know, that's not normal. <laughs> that's not normal. So if you're experiencing that, that is not normal at a young age there. It's your body saying it's, it's asking for help. It's asking for something. But thankfully at that point I'd been told extra salt and I had been told the extra prednisones. Yeah. So I was pouring mm -hmm liquid IV packets into like every drink I was drinking. <laughs> you just didn't have a name to go with it yet. Officially. You had an right. idea. You had a direction that you were proceeding towards. Um, mm -hmm. And then were they trying to lower the prednisone at that point from what you were on? Right. Yes. So it, it was going very slowly, like one milligram a month or six weeks or it was much slower than what the neurologist tried each time. And it, I was slowly getting to where I was feeling a lot more tired again, because I've done enough prednisone means now to know at 10 milligrams, I'm pretty good by five milligrams. I'm asleep on. about half the day, yeah. you know, under that and down to zero, I'm asleep pretty much all day. <laughs> so I knew my pattern <laughs> and, um, so I was starting to think, you know, adrenal insufficiency. I was really starting to listen to your podcasts and I was trying to learn from Facebook group and research and anything I could get my hands on. And you're talking about Professor Heinmarsh's research and the need to split up your doses. And then someone in a Facebook group posted the actual pamphlet that Dr. Heimarsh spreads his information with. And it's like, okay, I, I actually come from a science background and I see a graph, there's data, there's well-presented information. I feel comfortable with this. So I started splitting up my prednisone dose into three instead of one. My endocrinologist had told me once in the morning should be enough, should be fine. But for me, the spring of last year, 2023, I was waking up in the middle of the night with my blood pressure started to go down. 
And something I found was I was shaking and I'd either have horrible abdominal pains or wake up in the middle of the night screaming and in pain because my legs hurt so much. But something I learned was my temperature. So I started keeping a thermometer by my bed. It's like my temperature's going down. One time it went all the way down to 95.8. And my husband was giving me hot chocolate to try to warm me up. And it would help for a second, but then it'd go right back down. And then it's like, let's try some more prednisone. Okay, that helps some. Let's try even more prednisone. Okay, you okay? Okay, now you can go back to sleep. <laughs> And you know what? And that's a common thing that people with adrenal is in issues experience is extreme coldness. And again, before I was diagnosed, I would have to get in the tub in the middle of the day to warm my body temperature up. I was taking hot baths all the time and it was just cold to the, and I never took my temperature. So it was probably very similar. It's just right to the bone. Like it's just, it's an unbelievable feeling. And that's the only way I would do. I jump in a hot tub for <laughs> 10 minutes, get out, get back in. And that was the only way I could regulate my body temperature. One little trick I do now is when I'm not well, I put a hat on to help my body. I put on a winter hat to help my body conserve its body temperature so that I take that stress off of it. Mm -hmm. So when that happens now, I kind of have that, oh, I need it. Here we go. This. Here we go. <laughs> but part of the problem in the middle of the night was part of me knew I need more prednisone but I just couldn't act on it for, I don't know what reason, but my husband's like, here it is, take it. <laughs> and that's so he doesn't travel for work anymore because he feels like he needs to be there in case I have a problem in the middle of the night. Which, and he, you mentioned he's a type one diabetic, so he knows mm -hmm. he can probably relate to what it's like when his blood sugar goes low and how hard it is sometimes to take care of yourself when you're in a medical a serious medical situation, which low cortisol, low blood sugar, very serious, right? Yes. Very. And so then after I started splitting my dose up into three doses throughout the day, I stopped waking up in the middle of the night. Things got better. I was starting to not just stay awake all day, but actually live my life from alive to living. So, so basically people don't, un, um, haven't heard of professor Hinmarsh. He, he uses the circadian rhythm of the adrenal glands and how it kind of works with the body to, um, get us to split up our doses. And he is the person who, you know, the brain power about behind, you know, using the infusion pump technology that I use, he developed it in the UK. So do a quick Google search. You'll find lots of really cool information about him. Um, and he's probably, you know, from the knowledge I know, probably one of the biggest advocates and fighters for us for, you know, not only treating us to keep us alive, but to let us live life with adrenal insufficiency. So, so splitting up your doses and again, know your meds, know how prednisone goes up and down in your body. And you are going to understand why you feel better at certain points and you feel low at certain points. And why, when you take that med after a couple hours, like Elena's experience, you know, she knows if she takes it, it doesn't take long. You that light starts to come back into your body, that energy, that life source returns, right? So, so now, so this is currently, this is what you're doing then. You are splitting up your three doses. Um, and then when did you see, so you saw the endocrinologist in November, correct, of last year? 
when they really started point towards the adrenal insufficiency, right? Um, so, and then kind of really decided in December that that's kind of what so I saw him for the first time, November of 2022, 22. Okay. And so then he started doing some blood work and in I guess May of last year okay. I was showing my 8 a.m cortisol was on that low side still within the reference range below and then this is right but you were still and then from that time you were trying to taper that was during the tapering okay so you're tapering the, the adrenal glands just aren't doing their job okay <laughs> So then beginning, uh, I think it was August. Yeah. Just, like just a few months ago, August, <laughs> um, 2023 had some more blood work. And then I had 8am cortisol that was below the reference range enough that it was, it was low. It was low. <laughs> you couldn't it was say it was concerning. it was, it was very concerning and I had a high ACTH then so that's when my endocrinologist finally said okay maybe it's not just that you've been on prednisone all these years that sounds like primary and then the next time I saw him this past December my 8 a.m cortisol had dropped to near zero so that's when I was saying, all right, do I have a diagnosis? <laughs> and that's, he said, no, you don't have a definitive diagnosis because I don't know primary, secondary, but it's low enough now that it's in my charts as adrenal insufficiency. Which, yes. So he's not a hundred percent sure on the cause yet. He wants, sounds like he wants to get some more data and really kind of figure this out. Um, but in the end, we're all treated the same you need your cortisol, you need your hydrocortisone, you need your prednisone, whatever you're taking, you need your, your salt, you need your fluidocortisone, you need your emergency kits, you need to updose, you need to double dose, you need to triple dose. We need to do all these <laughs> things. Right. <laughs> we'll yes. We'll figure out the rest later. We're on the right path now. That's what's important. Yes. And so I did reach a point in the weaning process where it's I having trouble staying awake again. So he said, okay, what was the last dose where you felt? Okay. Let's go back up to that and just stay there. And so with the splitting of my dose into three doses throughout the day, I had reached the point where I was picking my kids up from school again. I hadn't done that in four years. I was taking my kids to birthday parties. I was so excited taking my kid to a birthday party all by myself for the first time in years. Then, then two minutes into the birthday party, my kid throws up on me. And I back away. Because I knew a stomach bug is extremely dangerous for someone with adrenal insufficiency. So I went into that birthday party thinking, yay, I'm finally going to socialize and meet the moms of the kids. My kid is around all the time and do all the mom things. And then I quickly went into panic mode of, oh, no, oh, no. Yep. <laughs> and thankfully, another mom stepped in and helped me out. <laughs> 
like uh, afterwards I got home and I was telling my husband I bet these other moms thought I was a horrible mom because my kid's sick and I'm basically kind of slow-mo <laughs> running away from them <laughs> but you're right it's it's one thing I love about your story is that you've already you know you've already learned how you always have to be thinking about the Addison's right? Mm -hmm. It's there. Okay. You know, I have to analyze this. Okay. If, if I get this bug, what do I have to do? So I don't get this bug because then you're not going to be able to be a mother. You're going to get sick and it could take you down. It could threaten your life. There's so many factors that you have to take, you know, consider. And, and just the fact, like you said, you, you know, even when you arrived at that birthday party, you, I think you quickly knew that just that outing's exhausting. Mm -hmm. right us doing things like that especially when you're you know you're newly diagnosed you're learning how the ups and downs go and how to manage the meds that when we do things like that um depending on cortisol runs absolutely every cell in our body so um depending on what we're going into a situation with you could drain really quickly at a kid's birthday party there's a lot of commotion going on oh yes <laughs> and you were already <laughs> excited and happy to go so you are draining that cortisol and now you're presented with a, a flu bug and you've already experienced abdominal pain and throwing up and all these different things going on so um you did exactly what you were supposed to do <laughs> <laughs> and then did, so, did you catch sure enough did you catch the stomach bug worked its way through the family and um my family members my husband and kids you know they'd feel horrible my kids threw up once or twice and they were fine but I was feeling very marked, very doomed. <laughs> and sure enough, I got it. And I knew from my doctor, his directions to me at that point in time were to double my prednisone if I got nauseous and if I actually did throw up, go to the ER. So sure enough, I throw up. I go to the ER. I tell him that I have adrenal insufficiency. And they seem to be taking me seriously. They're like, all right, I'm glad you're here. Good thing you're here. And they give me um, this triage. So I didn't have an IV in yet or anything. So they just give me the pill of Zofran to try to help stop the vomiting. I hadn't really thrown up. It was just twice at that point when I was in the triage. But kind of as I was sitting there, I was getting to the point where it was happening again. And it's just like, oh no, this is kind of going a different direction than what my kids experienced. And I get sent back out into the waiting room and I had had that pill, but I couldn't keep that pill down. So it's just reaching that point of constant vomiting. And I was getting so weak sitting there. I told my husband, I'm too sick to be here. I can't sit here. I'm too weak. I tried having the chairs together and laying across chairs and I just felt too weak to even handle that. And so my husband told them, oh, we're going. And they told him, no, you can't go. She's too sick. She needs to be here. It's like, well, you're not taking her back to do anything for her. And and that's where it's, it sounds like to me that, like I said, Addison's is part of everything. So you were it sounds like the medical team were thinking, okay, we treated her to get her to stop vomiting. Um, she's vomiting because she has the flu, but you're probably also vomiting because that's a sign of an adrenal crisis. The pain, the weakness, you were experiencing 
two things at once and your body's under extremely amount of stress and once those two it's like an explosion it just goes downhill extremely extremely fast and this is where the medical system needs to learn you have adrenal insufficiency you're going at a 10 50 100 i don't know what rate it is you're going downhill a lot faster than somebody with adrenal glands because your body cannot fight it mm-hmm. my husband asked me do you want to go home because he was wondering what i wanted to do and i said i want to go to this other hospital see if their er has room if they're able to take care of me. <laughs> and um, we went in. Thankfully, there wasn't anyone in there. There was no weight. At this point, I was having trouble walking. I was having to hold on to someone's arm. I couldn't really answer the questions at this point. I couldn't really talk for myself. I was so weak, so out of it. So my husband's trying to answer the questions for me. And I was just constantly throwing up. And they get me into a bed right away. They put an IV in. They get the fluids going. They get the IV Zofrin going. So I finally stopped throwing up. (laughs) And they want blood work. And the one thing that bothers me about that trip to that hospital was they wanted to wait until the blood work came back before they'd give me the steroids. And I still don't know why. (laughs) And that's one of the things um, people have to, re- you can't hurt us by giving us steroids, mm-hmm. hurt us by denying them and delaying them. And that's another message that's got to be put out there that we, you save us by giving us the steroids. Steroids aren't going to hurt us to give us a big dose. You know, it's adrenal insufficiency. Mm-hmm. Give her a dose, worry about the levels later and make sure that you're safe and alive. So After the blood work came back, they gave me the IV steroids and I went from laying on the bed, not able to talk for myself to sitting up talking, saying, Hey, I'm really thirsty. Can I have something to drink and (laughs) walking out of the ER all on my own, like a peppy little person. (laughs) And I think that's one of the pros and cons of this illness that that the con is that people just don't understand how that can we can go from one extreme to the other um but it's also the pro that it it actually shows to me how serious it is that without it we are you are in that desperate state but as soon as you're given what you're needed your body can thrive again and it can live Mm -hmm. soon after that i was seeing another doctor at the university hospital, we decided to stick with. Um, and I was explaining some of these other things I had going on because on top of all this adrenal insufficiency, I was having these allergic-like reactions just super randomly. And so they got me into a different specialist and they're not sure at this point if I have MCAS, MCAS, or if it's a chronic urticaria, but either way is they wanted to treat me the same way with Zolaire. And Zolaire is a black box medicine that you have to carry an EpiPen on you because you might go into anaphylaxis at any moment. Who knows? So I called up my endocrinologist because I had enough knowledge to know that adrenaline with the taking an EpiPen would have an effect on my body where I would need the cortisol. So 
I knew this, but I call him and ask, hey, so <laughs> I have the EpiPen now. If I ever have to use it, what do you want me to do? And that's when I got prescribed my Solucortuff. So I finally got the Solucortuff. <laughs> I, I wish I had it back when I had the stomach bug. <laughs> so now my instructions are if I start throwing up, do the injection, then go to the ER. Yeah. And that was because I'm assuming if you needed to use your EpiPen, it's going to up your metabolism, could drain your cortisol, could put you into an adrenal crisis. So you need to counterbalance the two situations. So it's EpiPen, Solucortef, and now you have Solucortef for backup for any other emergency that you might need. Yes. <laughs> Very so, good. See, and you're just newly diagnosed and you already have things that a lot of people don't have or even heard of with adrenal insufficiency. You've had so many positive things, you know, along the, the way you were so close to diagnosis initially when that doctor thought to, you know, check your cortisol. Um, but now, yeah, but now you've already learned that you need to check in with other medical treatments. How is this, the EpiPen going to affect, is it going to have an effect? on mm -hmm. my cortisol levels so mm -hmm. so I wound up being four years after my first symptom I officially got adrenal insufficiency written on my chart and getting these other things taken care of too the pots and the whatever's going on with the allergic like reactions getting that taken care of all these other things that affect your body affect your cortisol and so I'm feeling so much better now so taking a step back when, you know, you went on vacation and you had your bucket list, you feel mm -hmm. like far away from that bucket list now. Like you feel like yeah. you are on the right path that you are. Yeah. Bucket lists are always good. We all need to experience the things <laughs> we want to live in life. But when yeah. you were doing that bucket list, because you thought you needed it very quickly and to get, get it done fast. And so you feel like you are on the right path now definitely well and a living life mm -hmm. yes <laughs> amazing 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 um what else is going was there anything else going on with your journey in the last little bit um so recently a couple of weeks ago or so um we had this lovely weather front come through yeah and we were told yeah. Look like we're gonna get snow, maybe even six inches of snow should be really exciting for us because we usually maybe get a dusting maybe once a year, maybe. <laughs> and even if we do get snow, it only hangs around for a day or two. So it's like, oh, that'll be fun. But then we didn't get snow, we got ice. And that ice did not go away. It stayed and it stayed. We had people stuck in their houses for a week and a half. And right before the storm, I looked at my prednisone and it's like, well, I have a week's left. I'm okay. Cause I thought we were going to have snow for a day or two. I live in Alabama. We're good. The ice isn't going to, yeah. I was not going to stay around long. We'll be good. <laughs> yes. And I was figuring once the snow melts, maybe Wednesday or something, I can call my doctor to make sure I get some more prednisone. And my prednisone is getting to like the last pill or two. And I'm like, this ice isn't going away. My endocrinologist office is closed because no one's going in because they can't get anywhere with all the ice on the roads. 
And this is where my very fortunate situation of having Dr. Parents is like, hey, hey, can you pretty please? Although they're retired, they've kept up their medical license so they can prescribe medicines. And my dad called me in some prednisone and my husband braved the ice to go get it for me. But my husband's insurance had changed, so we had to go to a different pharmacy than we normally do. And so the bottles look different. The pills look different. <laughs> and when you have low cortisol, you can't think straight. <laughs> no, you cannot. <laughs> <laughs> I still had some one milligram pills left. So I was going to keep taking those and then take the new five milligram pills. But then after a day or two of that, I was like, man, I don't feel right. I really, really don't feel right. And then I was laying out my pills for the next day and I looked at the bottle and went, oh, that's not five milligrams, that's one milligram. I was taking less than half of my normal dose. So and so my husband, once the ice melted and everything, he got back to work. He was telling one of his friends my little story there. And his friend said, use some color dot stickers, put that on the top of your medicine bottle. That way you don't have to stop and read it and look at the numbers, just look at the color. And so far that's been really nice because you don't have to think too hard about pink and green versus where on the bottle does it have the five or the one or the. Yeah, that's exactly what I'm going to do. I, I write on my, my one milligram of Pred and my five milligrams of Pred a one and a five. And, um, but I'm still scared even to get those mixed up. So I think I'm going to go to the color codes. <laughs> and then I think I'm going to have to put a chart in my cupboard because when my cortisol is low, I probably won't even be able to remember what color matches what. <laughs> so, so all those little things do make a difference because you accident we're human. We can accidentally mix things up and with adrenal insufficiency, we got to make sure we don't mix it up. Another thing that's really helped me is that my POTS neurologist told me for the Florinaf, the fludrocortisone, that I sh should wake up in the morning, roll over, swallow it, take it, keep lying down, don't get up yet, wait 30 minutes, then I can get up. Okay. Just with the way POTS is to help expand the blood volume so it doesn't all sink to my feet right. and make me lightheaded when I get up in the morning. And you have but I go ahead and I take that along with my prednisone and wait 30 minutes before I get up in the morning. Yeah. And that's something I used to do when I was on tablets. I'd take, wake up, take my hydrocortisone, let everything kind of start to kick in. And it's little things like that that adds to our quality of life that takes the stress off of our body so that you can use that prednisone to enjoy life with your husband and your kids and not have to deal with blood pressure issues and stress because every all those systems in your body are working just a little bit harder. And that little bit harder takes away our cortisol levels. So if it's a day where I can sleep in, I'll just wake up whenever I wake up and take it and wait 30 more minutes. But if I have to get somewhere, I'm setting two alarms. So one that's 30 minutes earlier so I can take that medicine and then lay around I for the 30 that You minutes. already have all these tools in place. <laughs> absolutely incredible. It's so encouraging. I absolutely, absolutely love it. So um, where is the road taking you now? Mm, well, and 
just thinking another thing that's been helping me really get back on my feet. I was telling you about how my kids keep bringing home colds because that's just what little kids do. My dad suggested I take some extra vitamin D. So I started doing that and voila, if I do catch a cold, it's very mild and I'm not getting as many fevers as I used to. But I feel like I got to say vitamin D is fat soluble. People need to be careful about not taking a toxic level of it because it's not one of those vitamins that you can just get rid of naturally if you take too much of it. Um, I think that's a great example that we need to, people need to start talking to their healthcare team about, you know, all these little things that they can do to manage their wellness, because if we can manage all that stuff, it's going to make the adrenal insufficiency that much better. Yes. And staying cool has been very important for me. It's from what I'm hearing, it seems like a lot of people, Addison's need to stay cool as part of not stressing their body out. Um, But also for me, I can't sweat as well as I used to because of the nerve damage. Mm -hmm. So I really try to stay cool as much as possible. So I'm very fortunate that my parents can take the kids to swim lessons in the summer and because I can be in the pool with them, that's fine. But if I'm like sitting by the side of the pool, watching them in the heat of the summer and the humidity, that would not go well. (laughs) So now something that's becoming part of my life, I used to try to go to the gym to work out, gain strength. Let's get moving again. Because I'd really been bed bound for so long. I, I'm sure I had atrophied my muscles, but it was not joyful for me. So boring adult things of cleaning the house, that was joyful for me. <laughs> so cleaning the house is my new workout. <laughs> and you know what? There's absolutely nothing wrong. It's the stepping stone, right? Like if yeah. you're, you're going to start building it back, but you're right. You had a f- very long four years of a lot of trauma to your body. And Mm -hmm. yeah, you're going to lose a lot of strength. If you don't use it, you lose it. But if you Mm -hmm. start using it again and gently with adrenal insufficiency, you're going to start building it back up Mm -hmm. and you're going to build that strength up. And, you know, the future can be going back to the gym and doing all these things and, you know, let your workout be playing with your children outside. Mm -hmm. Yes. We've been working on teaching the kids how to ride their bikes and that is some very much forced jogging (laughs) involved there. (laughs) Right. But yeah, I think it's I, joyful. It, yeah. It's, it's a nice thing. And when you add joy back into your life, that goes a long, long ways. That's, that's the magic right there. Yeah. Before going, to the, I was on, going to the gym, not always joyful. <laughs> before I was on medicine, I try to sweep a room and then I'd be stuck in bed for a good two days afterwards. But now I can sweep all of downstairs and be okay. I love the examples that you give because it just shows how devastating this diagnosis is and how your body struggles like just those daily tasks were impossible you know people often say you know what taking a shower is exhausting so if you're still experiencing stuff like that there's probably a good chance your your meds aren't correct and you need to get back to your doctor and you need to say like we need to fix this and I want this fixed because this is not normal I want to be able to sleep sweep a room and not have to sleep for two days yes (laughs) 
Yeah. You know, I, my mom had breast cancer and thankfully she's fine now, but when she got her cancer diagnosis, they gave her a big book of here's what you need to know about cancer and here are resources for you. And I was just thinking, I wish they did that for us. Yes. You know what? That's one of the things I've always, you know, it's kind of on my list. I'd love to put something together. I know there's some things out there. The self-help group of the UK is absolutely amazing. They do have a book out there. Um, actually I'll put it, the link in the notes for this. Um, it's absolutely an incredible book. It's like you can buy it on Amazon and it's, but it needs to be part of, like you said, your, your diagnosis. Hey, I'm your endocrinologist. You have adrenal insufficiency. Here's, you know, here's your book. Here's your, you know, let's start with this, come back. You know, when I was diagnosed, it was, you know, I always say it was, you know, almost as fast as going through the McDonald's drive through It was like, here's your meds. Don't take them. You'll die. I'll see you in six months. <laughs> it's like, I would like to have some more information than that, please. <laughs> you used death and medication and, you know, within the last five minutes and we need more information. Something needs to be developed completely to support us. Yes. And man, like I'm so thankful you've pointed out the UK group because that's where they have those videos about how to use the Solucortef injections. And like my doctor didn't have the time of day to show me how to do it. So I sent that out to my parents and my husband and yeah. they were so thankful because yeah it's a little bit different than what you would normally do. And yep. Get on YouTube, YouTube them. I have some videos on my YouTube channel too. Uh, the best I can give to explain how to do the injections. The information is out there. The unfortunate thing mm -hmm. is that we need, it should be given to us, but we need to advocate for ourselves and we need to be thankful that we have social media, that we have YouTube, that we have computers, that we can connect because years ago, people did not have that as an option at all. Yeah. I really hate to think where I would be if that's yeah. Yeah. the world I was in. You can very easily, you know, the quality of life you had being sick, like you, you know, that would have been, you'd, you'd be working on that bucket list, mm -hmm. right? You'd be, mm -hmm. I would think I'd be scared all the time that this is, this is going to end really soon because this, this isn't, I'm not well, and I'm really not well, and we can feel it deep inside of us how unwell we are yeah so you have injection kits you've got your meds kind of stabilized right now your body's mm -hmm. healing and yeah. you're in a very positive part of this journey with adrenal insufficiency yes i have my medical id bracelet that i wear when i'm driving by myself and so um I wanted to thank you for doing this podcast because it's been a great resource for me, but also just this Sunday. So part of what made me say, hey, I'm ready. It's time to share my story was a friend had reached out to me. We've been talking off and on since I, since I finally got the, on my chart, here is what it is. I finally felt comfortable in December making like a Facebook post of hi. So some of y'all know what's been going on, but for most of y'all here is what has happened over the past four years to me, <laughs> sort of a post. And my friend reached out saying, Hey, I think I'm having something similar going on. 
And she even has a family history of adrenal insufficiency. So I was telling her, you need to get that 8 a.m. cortisol and be great to get the ACTH with it. And a little bit later, we got in touch and she said that, yeah, she hadn't done it yet. And her doctor had an appointment for her six or more months away somewhere to test her for POTS. And it's like, okay, we'll keep that appointment, but you really should have this blood test that won't interfere with that appointment. You can do that now. So she found herself a doctor that actually would do it. And she contacted me Sunday to say, hey, so I got the results. I do have low morning cortisol and I'm getting referred to an endocrinologist now. And so I spent some time telling her, you know, this really, really stinks. I really wish you didn't have this, but on the other hand, I'm so glad you have an answer and can get treatment. Yeah. And I, after a moment of that realized, you know, I need to send her to the pickle podcast. <laughs> Let me find the, here's what you need to know episode. Send her that one. <laughs> but you're right. It's all about doing the best we can to spread awareness. And now if she has adrenal insufficiency, you hope she doesn't have it. But if she does have it, have it, you want to diagnose quickly and mm -hmm. you want to fast track that. So she doesn't have to go through what you're, you went through. Mm -hmm. Right. So, um, so she's just waiting for some appointments now. And mm -hmm. so she's had, you said a low cortisol, right? Uh, yes. Amazing. It just, it sharing is absolutely incredible when we get the information out there. So thank you. So I figured if, a Facebook post could help someone maybe coming on the podcast could help even more people. Exactly. And not just from the adrenal insufficiency, like the primary circling back to the MG, there are so many things that overlapped and there's this huge group of seronegative MG people that are not sure if they have MG or not. And I'm sure some of them do, but I'm sure some of them don't. And they might, some of them might have this, but not just that, I'm sure there are so many that even do have the MG that are being treated with the prednisone that could have the secondary adrenal insufficiency from all the prednisone that yeah. I don't think anyone's telling them about this. Oh, you're right. And there might be somebody out there that's going through, you know, they got the serum negative, but their story is very parallel to yours saying, you know what, we know there might be an odds that I don't have this. I need to look at this and just look at it, rule it out, right? Do mm -hmm. the, you need the, you need more than just the cortisol levels. You need bigger pieces of the puzzle because it might be masked if you're being treated by prednisone. Um, you need to get that ACTH. You need to, you know, I think your story is great how they slowly weaned you off carefully until it got to the point where, okay, now the alarms are going off. The ACTH is up. There's, mm -hmm. there's something definitely going on here so mm -hmm. to be cautious with it but um but yeah there are other people going through the exact same story as yours and what I was learning from my endocrinologist was even if it is adrenal sufficiency from the prednisone that 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 is actual adrenal insufficiency just like what primary experiences and that they need those updosing rules too, even as they're weaning and they could potentially 
but most of them do get to where they can be off of it and be okay. But in that meantime, they need some extra help. And I don't think most of them are getting it. And from what I know, and I could be wrong on this, but from what I know, um, the difference between primary and secondary adrenal insufficiency, if the secondary is caused by steroid use, more often than not, I believe people who have secondary adrenal insufficiency do not need the fludocortisone. Correct. Because the adrenals are still functioning. The aldosterone is still there. They've just lost the cortisol production of the adrenal gland. So their glands are working, but they're just missing part of the puzzle where primary we lose everything usually and we need to supplement with both so um you know in your story it does definitely you got two paths but it's definitely pointing more in one direction than the other right especially like you said like as you described all these symptoms you know when it started four years ago I could feel you know the abdominal pain like all these things then there was the blood pressure and then it was you know, all these other little things that keep reoccurring that those were, I, I truly believe all of our bodies, when we go low cortisol, we all have different ways of communicating with it. Yours was the abdominal pain, um, problems recovering and the blood blood pressure. And then you got tanned and all those different things where some people don't get abdominal pains. And I just started that one just a few years ago. Um, but we, we need to learn our symptoms. And those symptoms are going to come back when our cortisol dips low in normal daily life now. And we need to still listen to our bodies. And I'm so thankful that you're listening to your body. (laughs) Well, I'm getting better at it. (laughs) There are definitely times where I question, should I just try to push through? Yeah. And that's, and I think we all do that. I do it still too. It's like, oh, do I just push through? Is this what it is? And, and then once I take the extra meds and I'm like, Hey, like I've been doing this for 15 years. Like, when am I just going to listen to myself? Like I know better, but I, I still go through that. And that's just, I think that's just part of it. But I think the more we talk about it and get the medical community, community educated to help us updose and to make it okay. Because like you say, we hear steroids are bad. Steroids Mm -hmm. are bad. You can't be on that pride. You got to be on the lowest dose possible. Well, you know what? if your body was under stress and low, your body's just going to make more. So um, you're not on the lowest dose because we don't know how much a healthy body is actually really producing. But I'm so, so thankful that you are feeling better. Um, Is there anything else that you would like to share with us about your journey today? That's all. That's it. We've covered everything. Yep, We finally got there. (laughs) We covered everything. so thankful that you reached out that you decided to share your story because it does make such a difference and like I said the things that um reminded me you know in your story listening to you was you know how important it is to listen to our bodies to remind me of what I experienced you know pre-diagnosis because um and that you know it is definitely a journey and it's going to be a journey. If somebody's on it, you got to be very patient with, um, but you need to educate and advocate for yourself as much as you can. And you pulling in that, that little bit of information about just saying, Hey, you know what? A low cortisol symptom, you know, reading, you know, a few years back, could that maybe be important? <laughs> and you know what? That might've been the moment that saved your life because it really, you know, it was a game changer and it opened up a new possibility and you were blessed to have a doctor then that looked into it. And then a doctor, when you mentioned that said, Hey, you know what, Mm, we better 
get you into an endocrinologist because that's not good because you know what some doctors don't even have that knowledge and that background so um we need to um use google like you did and all these things as best as we can to educate ourselves and to find that team to support us so um so many things and then put dots on your meds <laughs> go go to the dollar store buy some color dots dot yourself it's okay <laughs> um we got to take care of business and that that is part of it so um and yeah i'm just so thankful that you shared because i know it's going to make a difference and it's already made a difference i think for your friend and hopefully she manages well and gets a diagnosis of whatever she's going through so so thank you thank you thank you and if you want to be a guest in the pickle jar and share your story you can go to my website chronicallyfitcanada.com you can send me an email at the pickle jar at rogers.com all kinds of different ways to get a hold of me i'm going to put that link for that book and the self-help group of the uk um in the show notes for you so you can check that out and um yes and thank you again ellen and i hope you can continue to do well and thank you for bringing your courage and your inspiration into the pickle jar. Thank you. And until next time, friends, please be well, my pickles. <laughs>